What's up, Cougar fans? Welcome back to the Holy City Hoops podcast. Tommy here. I am back from Charleston. It was a great trip back down there. Great to see some old friends. I hang out with some people at the game, which ended up being a nail biter against Towson. Uh, really fun atmosphere inside of TD Arena. Glad I was there for the game. Got my John Crest bobblehead, which I'm super excited about. I have that sitting next to me and my computer here as we record this right now. Uh, only downside of that trip is I came back a little under the weather. So if I sound a little extra nasally, uh, blame it on American Airlines. But I'm powering through. I do this for y'all, you know. I'm powering through. The Cougars keep winning. So we got to keep the podcast machine churning. Got a really great episode for you today. Excited for my guest this week. It was Harrison Bown, who is a former CFC basketball player himself, class of 2016. So he played with a lot of the guys who are still on the team, uh, spent most of his career in the CAA, played for Coach Grant. So he has some really interesting insights into how CFC has been playing, how the rest of the CAA looks all from the perspective of a former player. So uh, I think you're really going to enjoy what he has to say. And uh, it was great talking to him. Before we get into that, remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, or Spotify. If you haven't already, be sure to check out holycityhoops.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Here's me and Harrison Bown on the Holy City Hoops podcast. Okay, Harrison Bown is here. Harrison, Jeff Ashera said you were going to bring the fire. I hope you're ready to uh, to live up to that. Uh, anytime Jeff Ashera gives you a hype like that, you you got to try to live up the best you can. But I don't know if I could ever live up to the hype that that he provides for for college <laughs> Charleston basketball. That man's something else. He's he's a hype man. He's a hype man. I hope I hope he's listening right now. I, I hope he is as well. I, I miss him dearly here in Charleston. Ah. Uh. Uh, well, before we get into the actual games, I wanted to start with Joe Cheely because you guys were teammates. And uh, the last time we recorded this podcast, he had just gotten the call. But since then, he entered the game against the Celtics, scored his first NBA points uh, there in garbage time. But wanted to get your opinion as somebody who knows Joe and and play with him. What your what your thoughts were on him getting the, the NBA call up and, and finally uh, getting his name on the box score? Yeah, I, I thought it was awesome. Um, I mean, I grew up a Hornets fan, lived in Charlotte for a long time, and obviously for him to get to sign on my kind of hometown team has been really cool to see. And I, you know, been texting him every now and then, like, I know you're going to get your shot, you'll get a chance. And there's been some crazy roster moves with the Hornets where I think he could still end up maybe even getting brought up for a second half of the season. We'll have to see what happens with the trade deadline. But um, I think if you just look at his kind of his story and his career, a late sign, you know, late signee for training camp and for summer league battles through summer league where most of these people, you know, they play in summer league and then they're, you know, off to Europe or whatever, but they obviously saw enough out of him to give him the two way uh, deal. And then he goes to the G league in Greensboro and he's been playing great. And so it was awesome to see him get the opportunity. I know the, the, the buckets came in in garbage time, but uh, I think he's got a real shot at, at getting a chance to play in the NBA consistently and getting a deal. And, and I hope he does get that opportunity and I hope it's in Charlotte. Yeah. I forgot uh, that would be your hometown team, the the Hornets, but yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, for Joe to be just a third player from CFC to, to get some NBA action was just so cool. And he's so deserving given the work he's put in the fact that uh, we said this last week, he, he was in an empty gym, putting up shots with Cam Johnson, 
a few hours before summer league started. So from there to here, super proud of Joe. And, and that was pretty cool to see him get some points. No, it's, he, he's one of the hardest working guys I've ever been around. He was like that from day one. I mean, um, I remember in his recruiting visits, you know, Joe's a pretty quiet guy. Um, when he, to, to the outside, I feel like you don't get to see a ton out of him, uh, from necessarily his personality or emotional standpoint, but man, as a, as a teammate, he's a fiery guy, he's a competitor and he was just always in the gym. I mean, I can remember going back in the locker room late at night to, you know, grab something or get some shots or whatever. And it was like, Joe was always in the gym working on his game, getting shots up. And for him to have the success he had in college and battle back from the injuries and setbacks that he had, um, number one, to end it, you know, last year getting to take us to the NCAA tournament was sure. awesome. But then to to get this opportunity to, to play in the NBA and, and play in the G League, it's been really cool to see. And I'm, uh, I'm pulling for him. And, I, and like I said, I'm, I can't wait to see what happens, especially after the trade deadline with the Hornets, to see if he can get a shot to be called up consistently. Yeah, there's some. I mean, the Hornets. They have Parker and Graham. I'd be I'd be anxious to see, you know, what happens with those guys, and, and if if Joe can get a more permanent uh, call up spot. No, for sure. And I, I think uh, the with Kimball Walker, you know, I mean, he's they're kind of they hadn't said whether they're keeping or, or trading. So if if they trade him, I think there's a really good shot Joe gets called mm-hmm. up and gets to get some serious minutes. So selfishly for the Hornets I kind of want to keep Kimba but at the same time if we replace him with Joe Cheely I'll be all right with that (laughs) pulling for Joe as well (laughs) all right well let's get to the games this week Cougars follow up a 2-0 week last week with another 2-0 showing which was great to see they were at home they were against two teams that you would think they would win and both games uh, fall Charleston's way so let's start with the JMU game obviously a game uh, where the Cougars are looking for payback JMU, if you remember, came out on fire in that game. But uh, Charleston gets the win in this one, uh, 70 to 53. Did you have any uh, takeaways from this game? I thought what was just so impressive about it was was the 18 to 2 run to close it out. Um, I mean, I, I felt like we played great the whole game, and I felt like you know the game plan was solid. And that to me, when we you know just seeing how we played it, watching them, I felt really good about it from the tip and how we were playing. But to end a game on an 18 to 2 run just to see that kind of focus in and, and ability for them to kind of say, all right, this is the time. Like, let's, let's get stops. Let's execute offensively and and let's close these guys out. That was just really impressive to me. And that's something if they can keep doing it, which I think they think they will, we're going to be really dangerous come March. They've been closing out opponents a lot better these last couple of weeks. Is there anything specifically you've seen that's helped them do that? You know, I think that they just kind of got back to their basics of defense. Um, I think they got back to just those fundamentals of of how we play, the system that Coach Grant puts in, um, the defensive schemes and the game plan. And, you know, you look at those last, the last four games and we've held all, I think the highest in opponent scored is 59. It's been like 53, I think it's been three games in the 53s and then 59. And that, that fits perfectly into Coach Grant's system, into his game scheme. And I think if they just can continue to focus on those defensive fundamentals and hold people in the 50s, we can beat anybody. But that, to me, that's the key is holding them under that 60-point uh, limit and um, and just really focusing in on defense and then executing offensively. And that's easier easier uh, said when you've got a guy like Grant Riller and Jarrell Brantley to anchor the offense. Both those guys really showed up in this JMU game, combined for 46 points between the two of them. Kind of a slow start for the Cougs, which unfortunately we've seen from time to time. 
didn't help that JMU was on fire again to start. Stucky Mosley at one point, I think, was outscoring Charleston as a team, like 14 to 12 early on. Uh, Cougars start 0 for 6 from deep. But sure enough, as the guys kind of got some momentum plays going, I think, I mean, Reeler had a spectacular dunk. Uh, Brantley had a dunk on the fast break. Momentum starts to shift and then, um, you know, ultimately culminates in that 18 to 2 run that you talked about. Anything you saw in particular from from Grant and from Jarrell? Well, I think that the, that Grant and Jarrell just play great off of each other and, and play great with each other. And like you said, a little bit of a, a slow start, but I kind of feel like that's a little bit of their game. And I don't mean that in a, a negative term. I feel like they're guys that they're not, neither of them are going to come out and force shots just to, to get warm or to get some shots up or to try to get scoring going. I feel like they're really good at seeing what the defense is going to give them and working, you know, their offense and executing the offensive game plan, but also knowing that, hey, you know, when, it, when it's time to play in the second half, you know, in that under eight minutes hits, they, then they can start to take some of those four shots or the, the ones that are a little more guarded and whatnot. But um, I, I'm just always impressed with watching those two guys and how they play with each other, how they never seem to, to force shots or take really bad shots. And they, they really, to me, score within the offense, not, you know, going one-on-one or ISO. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. You know, we'll we'll talk about this in the Towson game, but Grant kind of took over that game late. So when he when he needs to, he can and he can he can get his own shot. But yeah, uh, I would say it's better to get that slow start and be within the flow of the offense than just start chucking and not really have a sustainable flow to to the game. No, a hundred percent. We always kind of joked about it when he was a freshman coming in before the ACL injury that he was lightning in a bottle. I mean, you, you felt like yeah. he could be really quiet at times when we were in, in practice scrimmaging. And then when it was time to take over, he could sense the team needed it. It was like he just flipped a switch and just become became a completely different player. And it was it's always fun to watch him play. I mean, he's just an incredibly gifted player that I'm I'm really glad we got here at the college. I had heard I know there's these secret scrimmages are supposed to be secret, but I had heard that in the secret scrimmage, Grant's true freshman year, uh, the game he got injured, he really took Clemson to the woodshed and put like 20 plus on him. Oh man, it was like, I mean, he got hurt, if I remember correctly, it was right at the beginning of the second half or maybe right at the end of the first half. Um, But he, I want to say he had like 23 in like the first half. (laughs) Awesome. I mean, it was nuts. Like they could not stop him. He was getting to the hole at will. He was hitting threes. It was impressive to watch. I mean, I remember sitting there watching it and going, "Like this kid's legit." And if he if he keeps anything like this up throughout the year, we're going to be dangerous. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, do I mean, does he look like the player he was in that game? Do you think he's still trying to get anything back from the injury? I think he's 100% back at this point. Um, yeah. His first year back, I could tell a little bit that it, it felt like he was not fully there yet, which is expected. I mean, he was still a great player that first year back, and I think he still averaged like 14 or 15 a game maybe that year. But you could definitely tell when he first came back that he the, the explosion wasn't quite there. I felt like he maybe didn't trust his knee 100% yet. But um, yeah. even last year, I, I felt like he was 100% back. And then this year, you just see him elevate his game even more. So, no, I, I, don't, I think he's back to being that caliber player and probably even a better player now, honestly. Yeah, that, that first step and, and that dunk he had in the JMU game was all the evidence you needed that the knee's healthy. Yeah, no, he's, uh, he's a highlight reel, man. Like, I think he's got that sneaky athleticism that people don't always seem to realize. And I, I can remember watching his highlight, um, his high school highlight films when we were recruiting him. 
and he was like a young, young looking Russell Westbrook, like just gets in the lane and could elevate and throw it down. And his freshman year, he was like that. And then, like I said, that, that first year back after the injury, it seemed a little slow. And then you see a dunk like that in, in the game, and it's like, okay, he, he's back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for so. sure. Speaking of some guys with some bounce, we'll talk about the bench, but Jalen Richard had another nice game, eight points in this game, two for two from three. He had started the season kind of slow uh, with his three-point shot. I think he was between 20 and 25% the last couple of games. He's really been on the uptick with that. And Jalen McManus, so so both Jalen's. Uh, McManus comes off the bench and has a team high seven rebounds. Another theme we'll we'll talk about uh, just bench play. Uh, this week was really solid. No, it, it was it was great to see the bench kind of step up. If you looked at those games, um, the the two losses, Northeastern and and Hofstra, there was just nothing from the bench, you know. Mm-hmm. And when you, I think if you just went on box score alone and didn't look at the game, you could tell right away. Like the thing that CFC has been lacking a little bit was was bench play. And for those guys to come alive in these last two games and, and for Jalen McManus to start to get involved, get some rebounds, and Jalen Richard's been really impressive to me. I mean, I, I had no idea that he was that athletic and, and could come in and give us a spark like he's been able to. And like you said, as his three-point shot gets more consistent and he gets more comfortable with it, gets a little more confidence. If those guys can just come off the bench and give us those four, five, six points, a couple rebounds, a couple steals – that's going to be huge come late in the season because you've got to have a rotation of seven, eight guys that you can count on, especially in conference tournament play when, you know, injuries, fatigue and all that comes into play. Do you think there's a difference between having a consistent third score? Like, you know, if Galloway's hitting 10 plus every, every game versus having sort of by committee off the bench. I think for sure, if you can count on that that third score to give you that eight to ten a game, that's when you're going to be really, really good. Um, it's it's obviously great to have the you know committee from the bench, and it's always great when you can have a couple guys coming off the bench giving you know four or six points or whatever it is. But if you can get a guy like Brevin Galloway, who at the beginning of the year really looked like he was going to be that third score at ten points a game, and I know he's dropped off just a little bit lately, but I, I feel like he'll his confidence will start to come back around and start to pick it back up towards the end of the year. But if he can consistently give us that eight to ten points a game as a starter, that's going to be huge. And then you know, uh, Marquise is still to me getting back in the swing of things, mm-hmm. um, and he's played better and better each week. But I, I think the more that he comes around and Brevin picks it back up, if we can have those games, you know, coming into to March where it's like you know. Uh, Grant at 20, Durrell at 18, Brevin at 10, Marquise at 10, a couple guys off the bench giving a couple points, Nick at like six. That's that's hard to beat that, especially if we're playing the type of defense we're playing right now. For sure, for sure. Yeah, Marquise in, in this game, six points, cool uh, two for four from three, four assists, zero turnovers, pretty efficient. Would like, like you, I'd like to see maybe two to four more points, but uh, the four assists and zero turnovers I think is – helping more than, than anything else, helping the team right now? No, that's huge. And, I mean, he's he's a great passer. He's a great defender. Um, and the thing for him is he's, he's a big shot taker and maker. And, I mean, we saw that last year in the CAA championship. But when you can have a guy like that um, kind of anchoring your offense and getting the ball to, to your two primary scores but still be able to take that big three – and knock it down, that's huge. Because there's going to be times, especially late in the year, where, where Grant and Jarrell are going to be doubled or hedged on screens, and there's going to be a kick to a wide-open Marquise. And, and the good thing is we know he's got the confidence and the ability to knock those shots down. 
I've, I've said it before. He's got a free pass from me for life just because of that CA championship performance. <laughs> no, I mean, he, he's, you know, I'm kind of, I'm always kind of torn whether I would want him off the bench and keep Zep as a starter or whether I really want Marquise as a starter and Zep coming off the bench. And it's not that either one of them is better or worse necessarily as a starter off the bench. It's just, there's something about having a guy like Marquise that can come in into a game and give you a spark and, be able to knock down big shots and, and everything. But even as a starter, he, he always tends to fill up the stat sheet and he does a little bit of everything. And I, uh, I think he'll be a, a big key along with Brevin down the stretch to, to see just how far this team can go. Okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, the team started shooting pretty woefully in this game. I think they were under 32% almost near halftime, but uh the spark from the bench and sort of the efficiency of those bench players, guys coming in shooting three for four, two for three Cougs end up shooting almost 50% from the field. Uh, that 18 two run also, you know, definitely helped. Um, we would be remiss if we did not talk about the end of the game, uh, which we were talking about before we started recording. And that was Lou Rowe going berserk on the sidelines. So for, for anybody who did not see it, Grant Riller, uh, hits a big shot he's running down the court he does a quick throat chopping motion i don't think it was directed at the bench it's hard to tell from the camera angle uh i know grant gets trash talked a lot uh and he's he seemed to be caught up in the moments uh lou Rowe is upset about grant not being called for an offensive foul and then he starts referencing the uh the throat chopping motion i think as a as an add-on it was a chippy game throughout uh you know, Lou, I think I think he was assessed a technical. He definitely wasn't thrown out, uh, but uh, both guys made up in, in the handshake line. Uh, I'm sure you're you're familiar with uh, the competitive juices kind of flowing over in games. Yeah, you know, I think just being it's, you know, mid to late conference season. It's a big game. JMU obviously beat us up there, so it's going to be testy coming back to Charleston. And then, you know, they haven't really since beating us early in the conference season. They haven't really played that well. And so. For us to go on an 18-2 run and Grant, you know, I love the kind of chip that Grant plays on his shoulder, um, plays with. And I, I feel like I feel like he does get trash talked a lot. And I kinda like it when he when he fires back. And I don't think he meant it in any disrespect to JMU or, or Coach Rao, but um I always love it when, you know, the players and coaches get kind of testy and uh especially late in the CAA season. I, I don't know. I I love it and it was it was good to see and I, I don't blame either one of them. I'll blame blame grant for talking a little smack and i kind of like that that coach got a little fiery on the sideline <laughs> was there was there ever a, a team or a player uh, in your time in the caa who was uh was a trash talker or was a heated competitor oh man it was freaking jordan tally from uncw i could not stand <laughs> that guy um I mean, he's just, he was always talking nonstop and he's a good, he's, you know, he's a good player and obviously Wilmington and us kind of have this little edgy rivalry and especially once they got good. And I felt like even when they were bad that first year in the CAA, our game went to like double overtime uh, down there. And I think they beat us on like a tip in and our game with them is just always testy. And I felt like they were just kind of always had a little, you know, edge to him, a little cockiness. And especially once uh, Coach Keats got there, I felt like he brought this just completely different attitude to them. But uh, I, Jordan Talley was definitely the one that kind of irked me. That was like one of those guys that I was I was ready to start talking to. And, and obviously, by no means did I get a ton of playing time, but I'll never forget senior night, UNCW at Charleston. Um, 
and I shot a three and missed and he was just chirping away nonstop. And I was just like, who is this guy? Like what the <laughs> heck, man? So no, it was Jordan Talley's on my, uh, on my public enemy number one list for CAA basketball. Oh, that's great. Do you, do you want to name anybody else who's on the list? Uh, let's see who else would be on there. I don't know. If we have anybody else in the CAA. I'm trying to think. Can't think of anybody from JMU. Um, Rostas from uh, what was his name? Rostas, whatever from Hofstra, Goosties. big white dude. Yeah. Goosties, yeah. Wasn't his first name like Rostas Goosties or something? Like that? Yeah, yeah, Rokas. Rokas, yeah. yeah. He, that man, like, he didn't really ever talk, and if he did, I probably wouldn't know what he was saying. But he just always like threw elbow, like dirty elbows. It felt like. <laughs> um, so he he'd probably be like number two on there. Can't think of anybody from uh, from Northeastern. Um, William and Mary. I was never a big Omar uh, Pruitt fan. He just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Okay. Um, but uh, I think that's that's probably my, my top three right there. But That's great. That's some great inside baseball. I, <laughs> I, had, almost, I had almost forgotten about Jordan Talley. I, yeah, he, he came off the bench and he was a bit of a yeah, like, cougar killer. Yeah, like he wasn't even one of those dudes that you would think about like, oh man, like Jordan Talley gave 20 tonight and let him, you know, brought him to the wind. But it's like he would come off the bench and hit big shots or he'd he'd come off and just be annoying, defensive presence, get a couple steals. Like he's the type of player you'd want coming off the bench, like just making an impact on the game. And uh, I just, I always remember how much uh, smack talk he would do during the game. So uh, if I ever get the chance to get him back in a men's league game sometime, I'll, I'll have to do it. Yeah, take him into the low post. Show him what's up. <laughs> All right. Anything else on JMU before we move on to the Towson game? I think that's about it for JMU. Okay. So Towson uh, on Saturday, I was fortunate enough to to be at that game. Uh, typical CFC Towson game, right? I mean, low scoring. Uh, I, I went to both Towson games this year, and, and both games, they're always physical, always low scoring, and you know, the guys are always looking at the refs for, for most of the game. Uh, refs usually let guys play in that one. Yeah, I mean, Towson game, you can pretty much just guarantee it's going to be a scoring in the 50s. There's going to be a bunch of borderline, dirty, very physical fouls. Nobody's going to get into an offensive flow, and it's going to go – it's going to be close down the stretch and maybe even an overtime game. I mean, it, it's – other than when we played them non-conference my freshman year and beat them by, like, 30 um, – it's been like a one or two point game every time. And I feel like it's just super physical of a game. I and mean, I, I kind of wrote down on my notes for this, just gritty. Cause that's what it feels like every time oh, yeah. you play Towson. Like it's just such a gritty game. Yeah. I mean, they, uh, they're ball Hawks defensively. I mean, we talked about how good Grant and Jarrell were in the game prior against JMU. They were completely contained in this one and well defended and then not being able to supplement their offense by getting to the line. I think combined they had, one free throw attempt and it was from Jarrell and he missed. So 12 points for Riller, a lot of that late in the game. And uh, the Jarrell Brantley uh, double figure scoring streak finally ended. He had just seven. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like they just do such a great job defensively and always have um, whether it's a guard or a post player. I mean, I can remember Andrew Lawrence having fits playing against them a little bit. I can remember Joe Cheely having fits, Willis Hall having fits, they're, they're just so good defensively and they focus in on their defensive fundamentals and their game plan and they execute it. That To me, they're one of those teams that they never seem like they're the most talented. They never seem like they've got like that one or two guys since a Jarrell Benjamin. Um, 
that's like going to go get you 20 or 30 a night, but they, they know what they're good at. They know how they're going to win games and they execute. Um, and they, they, it's been, imp- it was impressive to watch Saturday, just how, how good defensively they were um, holding Jarrell and Grant under, you know, what their, their season averages were. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could, I was up close and you could tell they were getting frustrated with um, some of that slaps, some of the holds and, and things like yeah. that. Uh, and that's just, yeah, that's what Towson wants to do. So, you know, this team will sometimes fall into a, an offensive lull or a drought where they don't score. And uh, it was just sort of magnified uh, in this game. I think they had a couple streaks of three or four minutes where they couldn't even get a, a point up on the board. But um, we have to talk about the bench again in this one because Zepp Jasper, after um, going quiet for a couple games, 12 first half points uh, that were desperately, desperately needed. No, he was, he, I mean, he was the difference in the game and, and what a huge, um, huge boost he was for us off the bench. And that, that was kind of the game that you've been waiting to see from Zep Jasper. You know, you hadn't really seen him uh, knock down a bunch of shots. You hadn't really seen him kind of get in a groove and, and really explode offensively. And I mean, he's not the, the greatest shooter in the world or the guy that I think is going to go out there and give you 15 or 20, but he, he's a great player. And he, to me, he's great at setting people up. I've always thought he was a really good enough player to hit, you know, open shots and knock down the the looks that he's he gets in the game through and everything. But that was just impressive to see him finally kind of get going, and and he he got it going at the perfect time because we needed him. Yeah, no kidding. And then Jalen Richard again, nice night from three, two for four, uh, seven points. Sam Miller, who who was pretty quiet against JMU, uh, obviously made one of the biggest plays of the game, but uh, even prior to that, uh, I thought he had some good minutes. No, I, I felt like Sam has just come a long way. Um, it, it's it's tough to sit out that long and then try to get back in the rhythm of, of playing in games and not going against you know teammates anymore in practice, but finally having a real opponent to go after. And to me, watching the games, it feels like he's just gotten better game after game after game. Like he's just done, you know, one or two things better than he did the, the week before. And, I think he'll uh, have a pivotal role down the stretch, but to have a, a big guy like that that can come in and shoot a little bit, it's comfortable handling the ball, good passer, that's huge to have off the bench. For sure. So we've, we've talked about the bench a lot, but I, I think they've sort of filled the void because Nick and Brevin have been struggling as of late. Uh, I think uh, I, I just jotted down my notes uh, Brevin's had five or fewer points in six of the last seven games. Uh, Nick, you know, five or fewer points in all of the past seven games. So the bench has been able to step up. But what do you want to see from those two guys for them to get sort of back in rhythm? Yeah, the the, the biggest thing for me with Nick and, and Nick's a great friend of mine. I love that guy to death. But the, the biggest thing for me is I, I want to see him get a little more physical. You know, to me, two rebounds in the Towson game, and I don't know exactly what he had. I could probably go back and look in the, the JMU game. That's just – that's too little. Um, I, I feel like he needs to get in the range of seven to eight rebounds uh, a game. And to me, if he does that, it's going to lead to four to six points a game, which, you know, he's not a guy we have to rely on for scoring. But I look, he had three in the in the JMU game. I just – I feel like he's got to be giving us that six to seven rebounds a game. And the thing for me, you know, being a post player is rebounds are a great way to get yourself going. You know, you don't yeah. have to get past the ball. You're not relying on anybody else. You're not even relying on the offense. It's, it's really just an effort thing. 
Um, and Nick's one of the biggest guys in the CAA. He's extremely skilled. He's a physical guy. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a very big dude. He's very strong. And I just want to see him get a little more physical in the paints and give us a couple more rebounds per game. And to me, that'll really get himself going, but can also lead to some some good uh, some good offense for us on second chances. And the thing for Brevin, the, the, what I look at for him is, to me, this is kind of like his freshman year. You know, he didn't really play a yeah. ton last oh, yeah. year, and he, it's you know kind of felt like he's set out for like two and a half years now. And so, to me, this is his freshman year, and he, he's hitting that freshman lull. And it happens to everybody. It takes a really special kid to to not hit that kind of freshman wall. It's a long season. Your body gets worn down. You're not used to it, especially if you've had a guy who's had some injuries in the past. Um, I, I do think he'll be fine. I think it's more of a confidence thing than anything. Um, I think he's just got to realize that, hey, I hit a little bit of a freshman freshman lull. You know, I hit the wall a little bit. It's a long season. Keep shooting those shots. And kind of like Nick, a great way to get yourself going is just to go make plays, whether it's, you know, steals and leading to fast break points, whether it's drives, getting fouled, going to the free throw line. There's a lot of little things he can do to contribute other than just shooting threes that I, I think will get his shot coming back around. But those are, are two key guys that, you know, you hope that they get going for the end of the year because if they start playing like they're capable of and, and you know, Brevin gives us that eight to ten a game and Nick gives us six or seven rebounds, five or six points, and you get that contribution off the bench from Sam, Zepp, and uh, Jalen, both Jalens, you know, you, then you're talking about a really dangerous team come uh, come March. Absolutely. No, I think that's good advice. Um, well, let, let's skip to the the final play, or I guess the second to last play of the game, Charleston's final offensive possession. Uh, Sam Miller hits Grant on that backdoor pass. I was when I saw it live, I was like, where did this play come from? Like, I'm expecting <laughs> Grant to go ISO or, you know, get a ball screen or, or what. And it's it's Sam throwing a dart to Grant under the basket for the reverse. I don't. What do you think of the play call? What do you think of the execution and, and all that? No, I, I love the play call. That's a play that we uh, we practiced all the time uh, with Coach Grant. It's one that he likes to go to late in the game. Uh, what's great about that play call is the passer's got to know that if the back door's not there, you don't throw it. And what Grant would do is a, a you know quick V cut back out, get the handoff, and then he's right into kind of a pick and roll ISO. Um, and so it's a it's a great play call with with multiple options. But in this case, it, it was you know they they overplayed a little bit. He got the back door. Great finish by Grant, um, and obviously a, a great pass by Sam. And that's one of the key things with a guy like Sam. He gives you that little different game than, than Nick Harris. And Nick's a good ball handler, a good passer, but but Sam's really comfortable on the perimeter. And not many big men in Division One basketball, and especially in the CAA, can can handle the ball and make a pass like that like Sam did. Yeah, yeah, that was a great pass. I, I think Sam deserves a lot of the credit uh, for, for that. Um, and then Towson goes the other way. Um, fortunately the refs swallowed their whistles because it was another <laughs> kind of chippy uh finish but you know that's the thing right like sometimes the game will go your way in in that respect and then sometimes it's like the drexel game where you don't get the benefit of of that late call or late execution uh so fortunately the, the cougars walk away with a win and finish that four game homestand uh four no no, it's, uh, we, we got pretty lucky there. And, um, I always feel like you kind of get those calls at home more than you get on the road. You know, we always say you got to be 10 points better than the refs on the road. Um, but it, it's, you know, it's CAA basketball in, in February. It's going to be one of those gritty finishes. And I was glad the refs swallowed the whistle and I was glad we were able to, 
kind of get some stops and, you know, they missed some free throws and, and uh, obviously a big play by Grant before that. And so it's, um, it was just one of those gritty conference wins where you, you just got to find a way to win. It doesn't have to be pretty. Yeah, just going through the box score, I mean, the stats are pretty even across the board. Uh, not one of those games where the box score really tells a different story. Maybe you could point out that CFC hit a couple more threes, uh, courtesy of, of Richard and, and Jasper. But, um, you know, otherwise, just about everything is, is pretty even there. Yeah, and, and what's really impressive to me is you look at Towson shooting 45% and, and we only shot 39 um, to win a game when you shoot 39%, and granted, you know, like you said, we had more three-pointers shooting 40, and they were at 35%. But when somebody can hold you under 40% field goal percentage, uh, it's rare that you win a game. And so for us to be able to find a way to win, I, I just think that's huge. I mean, yeah, for Grant and Jarrell to be limited as much as they were, and it's not like anybody else was really stepping up except for Zepp. Uh, no, I, I totally agree. I mean... I credit the, the Charleston defense for, for keeping that team again under 60 and uh, just the late game execution. No, for sure. And I, I think we'll see that down the stretch as it, you know, kind of gets tighter and the, the conference race, you know, is really started to take a shape now. And with us being, you know, what is a half game or a game back of, of Northeastern now, you, I think you'll really see uh, it come down to some really tight, gritty games like this. And if we can find a way to, to win them and, and get on a roll, the other teams ahead of us are going to lose a couple. I mean, it's it's just too tough late in the season, and nobody in this conference really strikes me as a team that's just going to just absolutely run away with it. I know Hoff just got a great start, but if we can find a way to, to win games like we did on Saturday and play a defense like that, there's not many teams that are going to be able to beat us. Let's talk about the standings. Yeah, um, so obviously this week uh, the story of the CAA was Northeastern snaps that nationally recognized uh, Hofstra win streak. So Hofstra gets their first loss. I was going back and we were going back and forth last week uh, with whether we wanted Northeastern or Hofstra to win that game, because if Northeastern takes a loss that, you know, puts them even with the Cougs, but um, current standings would be Hofstra in first place at nine and one Northeastern, two games back of them at seven and three. Keep in mind, Hofstra and Northeastern have played one fewer game uh, than everybody else because they've the, the new travel partner by schedule, yeah. but um, and then, yeah, so Charleston is a half game back of Northeastern uh, in third by themselves. And then uh, a game back of the Cougars would be Delaware, uh, followed by that massive log jam of pretty much everybody else down to UNCW and JMU. No, I, I, um, I think we're set up perfectly. Obviously, it, it sucks when you have a loss um, like the JMU one early in the year and the Drex one as well. You'd love to get at least one of those back. Um, cause it's, it's just hard to win the conference with four losses when you have a team like Hofstra going nine and one, not that I think it's uh, impossible. And I, I think if we can beat them, um, I believe they play Northeastern one more time. Is that right? Or they already played them twice. Uh, they've played them twice now. They've and played them they've twice. Split. Yep. Yeah. So, um, if we can get a win on Hofstra, you know, and then kind of just be those two games back from them and, and keep, you know, obviously win our other games as well. It wouldn't shock me to see a team like a Delaware or William Mary or somebody give them another loss, but I do think it's going to be tough to catch Hofstra. But the big thing is you got to beat Northeastern second time around, and you got to got to hope that they get another loss somewhere um, because it's going to be really important to get that second seed in the tournament and have a have a better route to the championship to play a, a Hofstra unless they're upset. Um, but at, at this point, I mean, obviously you want to win every game, and, and I, I think we've got a really good chance at that. 
But um, I think the goal right now should be fighting to, to best place ourselves for the CAA tournament. And hopefully Hofstra loses a couple and, and we get right back in the, the mix of things. But um, it's going to be a, a tough one down the stretch, I think, to catch them just because of how they started. I think top three finish is, is a reasonable goal. I don't think there's anybody that should jump ahead. I think letting another team like a Delaware or a William & Mary jump ahead of the Cougs for like a, a three seed would, would be a letdown. But the opportunity is there for Charleston to finish as the number two. I mean, they play Delaware on Thursday, the team right below them, and they could get the the tiebreaker with a sweep. Um, Drexel, your hope for a revenge game, that would be this Saturday. And then you have Hofstra Northeastern coming to town uh, the following week. So uh, maybe you hand Hofstra a loss and, and get the split with them. And it's tough to go 2-0 against those teams, even at home, but... Uh, you know, the way the Cougs are playing defense at home, you know, maybe you get a one, one and one split there. And yeah, I mean, the, the door is definitely open for them to be maybe not the one seed, but in good position come tournament time. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, you, you look at the schedule that they've got left and I, I think they're obviously all winnable games, but the ones that I, you know, you kind of circle are obviously Hofstra and Northeastern. And to me, if you can find a way to split one of those and obviously win the rest, um, which I think they're more than capable of, you're, you're set up perfectly. You know, I think if you can, can beat a Hofstra or a Northeastern, just, just beat one of them and keep your, your losses, uh, that five, four to five range, I think you'll be, be fine. But I agree with you. I think top threes should be the goal and, and really number two, if you can get it. And then, uh, once you're there, it all comes down to, to three days in March. So the Cougs have, I think found themselves during this homestand. Um, you know, obviously the road was a tough place early in the season. We, they started on the road for the majority of their games. Is there, I mean, what's, what's the mindset of going on the road versus being at home? Is, is it like a schedule thing? Is it, what is it about uh, the, the road games that makes it so hard to, to kind of replicate what you're doing at home? You know, I think more than anything, there's just so many more distractions and there's such, there's so many more obstacles. Um, it's probably the better word for it. You've, you've got to deal with travel, which, you know, even when you're traveling, it's not like you're exhausted. We're not making like a West Coast trip like some of these NFL teams make. But I still think, you know, the traveling takes you out of it a little bit. Um, you're, you are away from your home crowd. So, you know, if you get on a run, you're, even though I feel like the Cougar fans travel probably the best in the CAA, I don't even think it's close. But it's it's completely different than when you're you know in TD arena with that that crowd going crazy. Uh, and then the other thing, I, I you know when you're on the road, you just don't tend to get the calls that you get when you're at home. And it's not that I think the refs are biased or anything. It's just that when you're on the road, calls don't seem to really go your way all the time. Um, it's a gym you're not really comfortable in. You may not have a lot of CFC fans there. You may not have a lot of fans there. Period. I mean, I can remember Delaware games where there's like no one in the stands. Um, and so it's just a different environment and there's a different comfort level and, um, you know, you're, you're in a different hotel. You didn't sleep in your bed the night before you don't have, you don't always have shoot around. If it's an early game, you don't always have a shoot around. You might just have a quick walkthrough in the, in the hotel. So I just think there's a lot more obstacles that you have to overcome. Um, and I look at this team and if you we're relatively young, you know, we've got some great leaders and some upperclassmen, we've got some key players that are pretty young and, even if they have a year under their belt, they haven't really had the grind of, of a CAA schedule and being on the road and having to win those tough games. And it, and it takes a special team to do that. But I think uh, 
I think, like you said, we've kind of hit our, our groove in these home games. And if we can just get that defense to travel, I think we're going to be fine down the stretch. Yeah, that seems to be what you hear Coach Grant saying in, in, in all the media is, uh, you know, the defense, ball security, rebounding, the same things he's he's always said, you know, it's their ability to take that on the road. That's going to kind of be the deciding factor. No, I, I think for sure. And if they can continue to hold people in the 50s um, for these next couple games on the road, yeah. that's going to be huge. If, if they do that, the offense to me will take care of itself and, and we'll be in a perfect position to win. And, and kind of like this Towson game, you've just got to find ways to win down the stretch. You know, it doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be an offensive shootout. You've just got to be able to stop the other team and, and find a way to win. Find a way to win. Yeah, that's what we hope the, the Cougars do these next couple games. Got to uh, stockpile the wins against the the easier opponents. And like we said, hope you uh, pull an upset or, or make something happen against one of the top teams. Anything else on the CAA before we wrap things up? I think that's about it. All right. Well, before we go, I, uh, I always like to turn the mic over to my guest. Uh, is there anything you want to leave the people with? Uh, for me, I'd just love to, to thank the fans. Like I, I've seen, you know, I always look at the attendance, even if I haven't been at the game and just getting back to moving back to Charleston this week, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back in, in TD arena, but it's been really cool to see the pictures and the attendance record on you know the box scores. And it feels like the fans are really coming out and um, making TD arena a rocking place. Like it's, you know, like it's always been in the past. And I think if they keep doing that, um, I think that we, we can be really something special at home. And it, it really does add to the program. Um, when you look at College Charleston and, and our basketball history and the trajectory of where they're going right now, to me, I've always said, I think we could be the Gonzaga of the East. I mean, we've got a great school and an unbelievable location. We've got a great history. We're in a good conference. You can get recruits. And I think if you connect the dots and look at how this program's you know been being built the last couple of years, it all points to eventually getting to that. And I think the fans just have a huge role in that. So the more fans that come out to games and get loud and enjoy it um, and support this team, I think it's it just makes all the difference for this program and, and where it's going to go and be in, in five to ten years. I was looking at it today. Charleston is tops in the league in attendance per game. So, yeah, uh, shout out to the students and, and the community for, for their support this year. Pretty cool to see that uh, they have that sort of home court advantage uh, versus our peers in the CAA. No, it, it's, it, I've always said this when we go on the road and stuff, it, it's not even close to see the, the support we have, the Cougar club, the people that travel to all the games and uh, come out and support us. And, and then you get these crowds at home that have just been getting better and better. It truly is impressive when you look at a school of, you know, 10,000 10, some people down in Charleston. Um, it's, it's just a really neat thing to, to see. And, I hope people realize just how special of a college and how special of a program we have down here. Um, and as long as they keep supporting it and keep growing this thing, I think the sky's the limit for us. Look at us, a couple grizzled alums still uh, connected <laughs> to the school. I, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't trade my experience at the college for anything. I tell people all the time, it's, it's second to none. It's an amazing place, and uh, I miss it every day. If I could go back and do four more years of basketball, I'd do it in a heartbeat. I yeah I think I think that is a sentiment shared by by all the alumni basketball players or not everybody everybody loves the city and and their time at the school so Harrison thanks for uh your time today it was uh it was a fun one 
No, thank you for having me on. Uh, be, be glad to uh, come back anytime. And hopefully we can uh, reconvene and do this again sometime in uh, March when we're in an NCAA tournament game. Sounds like a good time. Appreciate it, man. Anytime. You have a good one.